This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Prevenex. I have been taking their supplements for three months now, and I can't say enough good things about the products they're putting out. Now, what I want to focus on today is their Joint Health Plus for runners. Look, I'm not getting any younger, and you are either. And For runners, joint longevity, performance, and overall health really matters. Our joints take a pounding day in and day out, and joint pain can completely derail training. They have a clinically proven product to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise, and also it's clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. I have been on this proactive journey for a couple years now to make sure that I'm not just running and that I'm putting in all the additional work that includes Pilates, that includes stretching and foam rolling. And it also includes taking supplements that I know are good for my body because I want to run for a really long time and I want to run pain free. If you are looking to feel better while you run, while you're not running, just overall feel better in your joints, check out the Joint Health Plus product. And know that when you support a sponsor of this podcast, you are directly supporting my work. So I thank you very much for that. You can go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your first order. I'll put the link to that in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. All right, today is a super cool episode. I'm so excited about it. This is episode 255, and I'm talking with Gary Cantrell, also known as Lazarus Lake. Laz is the race director for the Barkley Marathons. He was running ultra distances before most of us even knew what ultra running was. He's currently hosting the great virtual race across Tennessee. And he's one of those race directors that we all want to know. So if you don't know about the Barkley Marathons, you need to check it out. A lot of people learned about Barkley's when that Netflix special came out, but it's an ultra marathon trail race held in Frozen Head State Park. The full course is supposedly 100 miles, but everybody says it's a little bit more. And the race is limited to a 60 hour period. The race is also limited to only 40 runners, and Laz has this really unique way that you register for the race. You have to write an essay on why you should be allowed to run Barkley, and guess what the entry fee is for the application? $1.60. When you get to the race, the race starts anytime from midnight to noon on race day, and within one hour of the race starting, It's signaled by the blowing of a conch, and the race officially begins when Laz lights his cigarette. And Barkley, though it's one of the most famous races that Laz does, it's one of six races that he does every year. You've probably heard me talk about the Biggs Backyard Race on this podcast if you've been listening for a while. He also is the director of the Barkley Fall Classic, Stroll and Gym, which is his oldest race, a race for the ages and the last annual Vol State. 
Note, the audio is not my best quality. We had a little bit of a connection issue. He lives out in the country and the cell service, the Wi-Fi just isn't the best. So know that I strive for very high quality audio and this audio is just a little bit shoddy, but please bear with me and give me a little grace here. All right. If you enjoy this conversation, please consider sharing it with your friends on social media and leaving us a rating and review. Enjoy my conversation with Lazarus Lake. Well, today on the podcast, we're talking to Gary Contrell. Should I call you that or should I call you Lazarus Lake? It doesn't matter. I know you're talking to me because we're the only ones on here. <laughs> what does the everyday, though, casual person call you? I mean, what if you go to the local grocery store, what who's what does the cashier call you? Oh, um, I guess every around here, everyone knows me as Gary. Okay. Well, I am really excited to have you on the podcast. Somebody suggested this in my Facebook group, and I thought, yeah, right. He's not going to come on this podcast. And, and we reached out, and you... We're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> of course. Why would, why would I not? Well, I don't uh, know. I... You have your own podcast. Yeah. And I'm not nobody special. So it's, it's a privilege to be asked to be on here. Um, I have to tell you, when I told my husband that we were doing this, he's actually met you before. You wouldn't remember, but uh, my husband, Glenn, came out to run the Barkley Fall Classic one year. Ah, so he had an easy time there. Well, he didn't finish. Oh no! <laughs> Where did he drop? Um, How far did he get? I think he, uh, I think he got twenty some miles. He found out that his iron was super low. He had like he had done the um, a a sixty k a few weeks before and had felt really bad in that, and then dropped halfway through the race or something. I don't know. How long is the fall classic? It's just 50 K. Okay. He dropped, he dropped. I don't know when he dropped, but anyway, we found out his iron was low. Um, he likes to not tell people that his iron was low. Cause he doesn't like to make excuses, which I think you would really appreciate. <laughs> I do. It's, uh, it just, whatever happens, happens. You face up to it and, and go on. Yeah. So, Okay. Let's get to know you a little bit. The super fans of Barkley and all the races that you put on know a little bit about your history, but a lot of my listeners probably don't. So I would love to just hear a little bit about when you got started running and, uh, yeah, just kind of a little breakdown of that. (laughs) Oh, I started running in 1966. I believe it was 66. I have to, it gets harder and harder to remember. I have to think back on it. But I believe it was in October of 66 when uh, my dad and his friends went to, uh, when we're going, it was a big thing to go to the track and run a mile. And I went and ran a mile because my dad went and uh, I could beat him. It was the first time I ever beat him at anything. And we were, we're kind of a competitive family, and it's not the kind of competitive family where you let the kids win. Yes, that's the best. <laughs> so I figured I must be a runner. It was the first thing I could beat my dad at. How old were you? I was like 12. Okay. My husband's always thinking about when the first time 
our young, our oldest son will beat him. He's eight and he's not going to beat him anytime <laughs> soon, but it's going to, it'll happen. Their careers are on different trajectories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is the grim reality. You, you go from where you go out and throw the ball with your, with your son and you have to take a little something off so you don't kill him. And then one spring you go out there and he picks up a grounder and whips it over to you and you can't quite get your glove up fast enough and it hits you in the chest and you have to say, Case, you're going to have to take a little something off the ball (laughs) because I'm not quick enough anymore. Oh my goodness. Do you have kids? Three of them. Okay. Are boys, girls? One boy and two girls. Okay. We have four boys, and I'm just waiting for all of them to be taller than me and bigger and stronger than me. <laughs> It'll happen fast. Okay, so... I don't know. It depends on how tall you are. I'm 5'6", pretty average. Okay, it'll take them a little longer to get there. Yeah. If you were 6'2", they might struggle. They might struggle. Yeah, I think we might be around <laughs> six foot for these four. Um, okay, so... I, I've heard you in some other interviews, and I kind of know a little bit about your story with running, and that you kind of kept moving up in distance, trying to, trying to be uh, one of the faster ones in the field, but everybody else kept moving up too. But you really were one of the people in ultra run, and one of the first people in the the ultra running scene. Um, so talk to us about that time in your life. When did you run your very first ultra? I did the first time I did ultra distance was in 76. Okay. But that was to train for a marathon so that the marathon would, you know, do a 30 miler so that the last part of the marathon wouldn't seem as far. It wouldn't be out on the edge. The first ultra race I ran was in 79. And the big issue then was that ultra running was just exploding. And people were concerned that what happens if one day we don't all know each other? Oh. Because <laughs> yeah. if someone ran ultras, you either knew them or you knew someone that knew them. There was only one degree of separation between it at most. Now, that's so interesting because even today as ultra running has clearly blown up and there's, you know, so many people that do it, it does still seem like possibly the tightest knit community within the running community. Would you agree? It's still a subset, but it's definitely quite, when you so many knew that ran, there were just a handful of races every year. So you would literally read the results of every race. And if it was someone who hadn't run ultras before, you would say, oh, there's a, there's a new name. I wonder who that is. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah, but I mean, even today, it feels like um, a pretty tight-knit family. I've interviewed quite a few ultra runners, and I, I feel like they all know each other, not just by their social media <laughs> names. Like, they're all buddies. Um, what was your fastest marathon, PR? Just curious. I, I, I've always been distressed. My fastest marathon was only a 3.15. I had... I believe I could have approached breaking three, but I had extremely poor luck with it. And there were not a lot of marathons to run. So you would just get a few opportunities a year that that you could do it. And I run in just the most horrendous conditions. It just it was like I was doomed. 
you never know. You can be trained up to be in the most fit shape of your life and you like you can't control the weather. <laughs> no. Even the even the 315 I uh, had gotten food poisoning a week before the race and lost 17 pounds that week. I ran anyway cuz there's so few races to run. And then I had Oh, God, I had one where that out of nowhere, it was 95 degrees when it had been being in the 70s. I had ran one in a blizzard with 30 mile an hour winds, and there were 300 and something starters, and I think 30 people finished. Wow, did you finish? <laughs> oh, yeah, I was, I, I finished like fifth. It was what, my best outcome. Oh, that's the 315. No, that was, it was, I think, 350. The wind was so strong, you, you could barely move forward when it was in a, a prison farm, so it was all flat, and every you would turn a corner and go into the wind, and you, you couldn't really run, because if both feet got off the ground at once, you would go backwards. Whew. Well, one of the coolest thing about your races that I think everybody really admires is that it's not about the fastest person that's going to win these races speed wise. Right. Well, not always. Some, some of them, some of it helps to be fast. The strolling gym is a pretty fast race. You still have to have some hill legs, but you can run fast. Oh, I, I think it's fun to have events that challenge different parts of your of your uh, skill, different skill sets, different parts of your psyche. Yeah, Strollin' Jim, that's your first, your first race ever, huh? That was it. I started the Strolling Jim because there were no ultras to run. Um, they had the only thing in the South. There were some races in Miami, which is about a thousand miles away, and there were some races up around Philadelphia and New York City. They had had a 50-miler in Atlanta the previous year, but they only had four runners, so they announced they discontinued it. Mm. And so the only way to run an ultra was uh, to put it on. And that was really good luck because I had more, I had more success as a race director than I did as a runner. Yeah, I heard somewhere that you actually ran it that first year, and people were fielding questions to you during the race. <laughs> I ran it the first four years and then one the, the next and I was still trying to be somewhat competitive then but I I couldn't perform well because you just have too much on your plate and you're too tired when the race starts then the the next year the fifth year I was out there running it and people are driving up and and I'm fielding questions on the road out of the car and I and I can't remember what came up something with the the aid stations or at the finish line I just said just take me back there's no point <laughs> you you I, some people can run a race and direct it and turn it over to someone else on race day and and be mentally focused I'm just not one of those people yeah I don't see really how it's possible unless you have someone who's <clears throat> literally the actual other like a co-race director with you now of all six of your races um, Stroll and Jim got this thing off the ground. Uh, I have to ask, do you have a favorite? <laughs> oh, I have kind of an answer because 
that's a popular question and it's kind of like asking about your favorite kid mm. you've got four which mm. one's your favorite depends on the day depends on which one's talking to you <laughs> <laughs> they're because they're all different they are like your kids they're each each one has their points that you that you at the moment you're doing it you think and it's your favorite but they really all are yeah I love that answer. Yeah, because when you look at each of your kids, depending on what, you know, what's going on at the day, you look at them and you think, how could it get any better than this? And then, you know, the next day, somebody else is being sweet. Um, And then there's a day where someone's raising hell and it's like awful. So I'm sure that races give you those feelings, too, sometimes. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes you want to kill them. (laughs) Sometimes you think they're the best kids ever. Some of the ra- the races have their moments where that you you think this is this is as good as it gets, mm-hmm. and then times when you think, why in the hell do I do put myself through this? Oh, that's such a great comparison. That's so smart. Um, okay, well, I think that most of the listeners probably know the most about Barkley because uh, the marathon, not the fall classic, because. You know, there was that wildly popular Netflix documentary that came out. Um, I'm very proud to say I was well versed on the what the Barkley Marathon was. Before that, we had a friend, Scott Breeden. Do you know the name? I know the name. Yes. He, yeah. He came and and uh, went up in flames at the Barkley Marathon one year. Yeah, he, um, I thought, did he do it twice? I think he completed two laps, maybe. He had a bad ankle injury, possibly. Uh, You know, he could have been there twice. I remember for sure that he came once. The the first time is always the most memorable because they're so sure. Yeah, yeah. They're so confident. I mean, I was so confident in him. (laughs) It's just hard to picture it, I think, in your mind what it's going to be like until you've actually been there and experienced it it's uh it seems like you're you're there's something wrong with your watch because you're working so hard and then you you get to two miles or three miles or five miles and you look at your watch and you say no i'm barely making the time limit yeah you know, when I first, you know, he was my first introduction to what you were doing. And then, you know, it's kind of gotten more and more popular. But the Barkley Marathon has been around since 1986. So all those old timers, all those old school athletes that have been out there for years are probably looking at all of us thinking, hey, this has been around for a long time, people. <laughs> it's uh one of one of the things people say they think well the the documentary you will get a lot more applications but the number of serious applications hasn't changed the people that that do that kind of stuff and can do that kind of stuff they they knew about it a long time before that so it's it's mostly the the additional entries are all the ones you have to say Seriously, you need to get out and do some ultras first. <laughs> yeah. You don't, this is not the place to begin. <laughs> I can't imagine how someone would think that that was a good idea. I just, I can't even 
imagine that. I just want to share with listeners in case they don't know. It's it's five loops and it's they say it's 20 miles, but everybody says it's really like 26. Um, but there's no exact mileage because you kind of change the course up year to year. We always uh, make small changes so that it's that everybody there, even if they've been there before, there's something a little different. Uh, a chance for them to stop and scratch their heads and not be really sure what's next. Okay, so I guess the big question that I'm sure you've gotten asked a ton of times, and I'm wondering, is, well, first, listeners need to know, there's a lot of secrecy involved in this race. Like, nobody knows the actual date you can apply. You have to somehow mysteriously figure this out, and then you need to apply, like, right away, because Laz only takes the amount of entries that he can read. So if you don't make that cut, you're not getting in. So why, why the secrecy share, share that part of the race with us. When we first started having the race, we posted it in in the, uh, the few places an ultra running magazine, which was really basically the only place you could find ultras to run. And then it got more and more popular and we quit posting it. And then we went to making it difficult to enter because it's hard to tell people, no, you, you, the, the biggest part of them, the, unless they're the people that just, you know, they, they've never run anything at all in their life and they just saw a movie and believe they can do it, <laughs> that, that you'd like to see them get out there and have a chance because they either either they deserve it or they deserve it Mm -hmm. (laughs) it would serve you right so people have 72 hours to finish the race correct uh 60 hours oh 60 hours okay apologies two two and a half days okay two and a half days and there's only been 15 finishers total did you make the race harder is this a true thing in 2018 because the rate of finishers got higher? <laughs> no, actually, I think in 2018, it didn't really change at all. Okay. It was, it was very minor changes. That It was 2019, I think, that we... You, you make small changes every year, and as you do that, the course becomes more and more kind of forced until you reach a point where you have to go through and make a bunch of major changes and start with a fresh basic configuration. So that happens every six or eight years. And of course the first one after major changes, and it could have been 2018. That's always a really tough year. 20. Oh, when there's major changes, everything is new for everybody. Mm-hmm. What were your dreams of the race when you founded it? Uh, I I thought the people that I knew would have a really good time trying to do it. Mm. And, and it's turned out that way. Of course, the people that I knew then are all too long in the tooth to, to really try it anymore. Um, And it, yeah, it just was supposed to be a really challenging race that only the only the very few would be able to make it and that it wouldn't necessarily just be the fastest person but a person that had all of the outdoorsman skills and and very self-reliant yeah see that's the part that scares me the most i don't want to be lost in the woods so i'm not coming i'm i 
I will apply to be someone's cool. support one day, but I don't even want to do that because I don't want to sleep in a tent. So I'm just going to watch from the sidelines. You could do the fall classic. It's easy. The fall classic is easy to race. <laughs> I'm going to tell my husband who dropped out because of his supposed low iron that. Uh, we At the fall classic, we shoot for about a 30% finish. Okay. Okay. Really? So, still, still 30%. Okay. <clears throat> we want to make it where that lots of people can do it. Now, okay. I was laughing because I was watching an interview with you before this and someone said, asked about females finishing and you said it's too hard for females to finish and I just laughed thinking of course he's just going out there and saying that (laughs) but here's my real question about that because I know you I know there was a humor behind you actually saying that um have you had any females uh in the likes of a Maggie Guturel or Courtney DeWalter actually come out to do the Barkley Marathon like someone of that potential come race it i think maggie's been there three times okay she's competed in in barkley uh she hasn't done the fun run yet okay she's working that way okay you mean she hasn't done Uh, the marathon or she hasn't done the fall classic no she hasn't finished the uh, i think she if she ran the fall classic she would finish that she's really good yeah the barkley is the barkley is a different matter we've only had I think eight fun run finishes by five separate women in all these years. Explain what the fun run is. That's three loops. It's actually a little piece of cruelty that we add on that. Um, if after three loops, we call it a fun run. It's <laughs> basically a hundred K. And so you have to not only go back out there in the face of all of leaving comfort for misery and knowing you'll be out there for hours and hours and hours by yourself with uncertainty of, of making it, but that you can call it having finished something if you make the three loops. Okay. So do people ever come out saying with the intention of just completing the fun run? Uh, not the first time. The okay. first time, everybody believes that they can do the 100-miler. Okay. It's, a, uh, it's, it's an athlete thing. No matter, no matter what the odds are, you go into every game thinking you, that somehow you can win. Yeah, your, your intellectual mind realizes, okay, there's a 1 in 10 billion chance that I win. But, but your, your athlete mind thinks, this could be the 10 billionth time. this this could be it okay so you allow 40 people to get to the start line of barclay so you select 40 people of of the applications right okay when you have 40 people you know come in to get their bibs and i'm picturing the entire scene are you pinpointing in your mind okay i think these five people have real potential here well, you know the runners going in when you selected it. So you kind of have narrowed it down to the people who do. And then the day before when they pick up their bibs and go through stuff, you get an idea who has really got, really got their game face on because they've got that thousand-mile stare. They're part of all the things going on, but they're not. They're disconnected because they're already they, – they come with – it takes such an – Tense focus 
to be able to get through that it it bleeds over into the day before. If you're joking and partying and cutting up and having a good time, it's probably probably not going to happen for you. It's it's the people that have they've come for a purpose, and the rest of the world is kind of on hold until the purpose is taken care of. So once someone finishes, you know, those 15 people that have done it, what now? What next? What next goal? <laughs> what more can you accomplish in life? Oh, there's always thing to do. But I think that for each of those 15, it has been a, a landmark performance in their, uh, in their athletic careers. And here in recent years, when someone makes it, then... It's, it's like everyone knows who they are. They get on lots of podcasts. <laughs> you know what? I'm kicking myself because I was in communications with John Kelly multiple times. We were going to schedule a podcast and we just kept not making it happen. And now that I'm interviewing you, I'm like, man, I should have had John Kelly on. So I have to circle back around with him. Oh, yeah. He's uh, he's really an interesting guy. And he came from kind of nowhere um, when he first applied for the Barkley, his credentials were not overwhelming. And really one of the big things in his favor was that he grew up there, that, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Kelly mountain in the park is actually named for his family. He literally grew up in the shadow of the park and, wow. and playing in those mountains as a, as a mountain kid. And then he got out there and over the period of three years changed from, a promising young athlete to a really accomplished endurance athlete. You know, he won the spine this year over in Britain, which is one of the world's, you know, it's a similar huge event to win. It's been really exciting to see someone develop to that point and finishing the Barclay with. Sorry, go ahead. You cut out a little bit. No, go ahead. That was, I was, go ahead. Okay. Uh, there's just a little delay. So I think sometimes I'm accidentally cutting you off. No, I was going to say who, if you had to name one person, one competitor in all your races, can you think of someone who's just the grittiest? (laughs) I have been really privileged to see some amazingly tough people. It is hard to, it is hard to pick one out, out of all of them. Uh, you think, think Johan Stan, the, the Swedish guy that uh, has run the longest in a backyard race, mm. he's he's got all the pieces. He he's unbelievably tough, and he gives no sign. Which in the in the backyard is such a straight up competition. It's last man standing. People don't quit when they can't go any further. They quit when they no longer believe they can win. Mm. And it's like nothing phases you on. You can't tell from looking at him what's going on. He looks just the same at the end as he did at the beginning. And then you had Will Hayward last year, also in the backyard. Uh, we had him pegged as one of the next guys out at 24 hours. And it kept whittling wow. down and whittling down. And every time it whittled down, you look and Will's still there. <laughs> And when it got down to four, you're thinking, well, he's got to be the next to go because he's been doomed for more than a day. When it got down to two, 
after the, the first three or four hours they'd gone out together, I saw Maggie give him a look. You know, she eventually won, but she looked at him and you could see it in her eyes. It's like, what does it take to kill him? <laughs> <laughs> he would barely stagger in. His crew would tilt his head back and poke food in him like a baby bird. And then they'd shove him back after the starting line. We'd ring the bell and off he'd go again. And oh, it just, man. <laughs> It was really quite something to see. What a badass Maggie is, though. First female to win Biggs. I was so excited. I, we've been seeing it coming because mm. every year there are women in there till the very end. And I think, and I, I hope people don't see this in a negative way, but for a lot of, for a lot of the women, they got down to a point where they, they felt like, and I even heard one of them one time verbalize it when I thought she's got a good chance to win she said the men will never let me win Mm. I think they've got to change their attitude to I will never let the men win Mm. (laughs) and Maggie brought that attitude she wasn't gonna let someone outlast her just because they were a man and she was a woman it's a it's I didn't really anticipate it going in Although when you look at it, you think you can remove the speed and strength as factors in a race, and it's just the sheer willingness to step up through the line again. There, women compete equally, and uh, I know that that year the New Zealand champion was a woman, and Maggie won the won the worlds. It's wonderful to sit down and have no gender classes because you don't need them. I was going to say, as as it turns out, looking at the results, gender classes actually handicap the women because it's such a mental burden to run in in a backyard race and to go on, keep stepping to the line over and over and over again. And then you tell them, it's just like the fun run at the Barclay, you tell them, you've won the women's division. Mm. It takes their motivation away. It makes it harder for them to, oh, I've already won. But I like to see a contest where women can just compete to win, period. Not the women's division, just win. I love that. I mean, I think, you know, when we're talking about speed and we're talking about marathons and things like that, men are obviously built with a different sort of engine. Um, That's why men's races are faster. But I think that what's so cool about your events is that, it does kind of take that out. It's certainly the backyard yeah. race does. It's been, it's great. The speed, you always look, you think, how can you handicap a sport so that women and men can compete? Uh, I'm a big girls basketball fan from high school. Really? Well, I've gone to the state tournament here in Tennessee starting in 1980 every year. Wow. And you see that, that as athletes and competitors, the women are equal, but physically they're not equal. Anything, and anything you do to try to equalize that, it just, it's contrived. You know what I mean? Make mm-hmm. the man play with his left hand or one hand tied behind your back, stuff like that. But the backyard, the, the setup, the structure of the competition is exactly the same for men and women, but the men's advantage is they're there, but they can't really use them. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, Why did you get into women's basketball? In Tennessee, when I was a kid, 
the girls basketball was a big deal. They were really good at girls basketball down here. You had schools where the girls basketball team was good and they'd be begging people to stay around for after the girls game and watch the boys so that the girls didn't play in a packed gym and the boys play in one that was half full. Oh, interesting. And we had a really good team at our school. And so I just, I really, that was back in the days of six on six. Mm-hmm. And I really got into that game and just, it's, it's a really beautiful game. The way the girls play it, it's all about skills and teamwork and they don't play up around the basket. The parts of the game that make it almost an art instead of a sport are accentuated in the girls and basketball if you take out the shot clock and some of the silly stuff they do to make it exciting for people who don't understand the game, it's the one sport where you don't have to have better athletes to win. If you have better skills, better teamwork, the ability to control the game, a, uh, a disciplined team can beat a more talented team. And I guess maybe because I'm not really greatly athletic, that's something that I enjoy. I love that. You're an athlete, though. You're a big sports fan. Uh, What about running these intense races where you're kind of, it's just as mental as it is physical in terms of the endurance. What about that is so appealing to you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, one, it it spreads out who has the chance to win. Mm. I, I think Again, again, to follow the backyard, there's a lot of aspects of the backyard races that I really like. We were set up for this year, and I guess people won't get to travel to do it. Mm. But we were going to have all these great runners from all over the world that were champions. And you can't pick a favorite. You, you don't know. So seeing, seeing, the, seeing the way things develop. Seeing what, seeing people digging deep and finding the greatness in themselves, and of course that applies all the way down. Every every race you run, if if it's set up the Vault Stage or the Barkley, um, all of those events give people a chance to really find something in themselves, and it's exciting to see people that have that. They come, I, would, I don't know how to put it, that they come out with a greater belief in themselves, that they feel like they, when they reach these points where they feel despair and they come through on the other side and succeed, that there's just a growth and a confidence and a, a sense of accomplishment. All right, friends, I'm going to take a quick break and thank Prevenex once again for supporting this podcast. If you are looking for a supplement that will provide the fastest joint relief and protection possible, you need to check out their Joint Health Plus. It is clinically proven to reduce joint pain and stiffness and improve your joint flexibility in seven to 10 days. It rapidly improves recovery from exercise-induced joint pain and stiffness. All right, so you guys can check this out. By using the code ANOTHER, you'll get 15% off your first order. When you go to Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your first order. They have all kinds of other supplements as well, including children's vitamins 
and protein powder. Go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your order. And friends, if you're looking for additional episodes from me, I have bonus episodes over on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. All right, enjoy the remainder of my conversation with the one and only Lazarus Lake. I don't want to skim over the book situation. And if anybody's watched the documentary or followed Barkley, they know that you have books set up along the course (laughs) and you got to go grab, you know, you got to grab your bib number is the number page number in the book. You got to grab. So share with everybody where the books come from and can we all be a part of perhaps sending a book because don't you oh. pick them out based on title? I don't want you to get a flood of thousands of books at your doorstep, but tell us the deal. Um, yeah, the when we first did it, I would have to go out and shop to use bookstores and look for paperback books. And then people got to where they were looking for titles that would be good titles. <laughs> and, they, and they would send them to me, which, yes, I appreciate that. It's good to get the good titles at the... So I have several boxes of books that are that have potential titles, and you sit down each year and you kind of think of the theme for that year's Barkley, and you look through the books, all the boxes of books, and find the titles that kind of go with that theme, and then you arrange them to the places they're going to be on the course, so that each book kind of speaks to what the runners are feeling at that time. Since I know when the race will start, I know about when they're going to be getting to different points. Mm. And, you know, the configuration of the course and what they will have been through and what's coming up. So you, you kind of tailor it to that. And I think some people, of course, they just go and they find the book, they pull out their page and go on. And, and, or they maybe they read the title and laugh about it. And other ones read it and they see it's like it fits mm. exactly what's going on. And they, and they say, he's just messing with us. <laughs> he's screwing with my head. So many genius, just like fun, creative pieces to these races. I can't see you being any other kind of race director. <laughs> Uh, not, not all the things that are said about my race directing are complimentary, especially out on the course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love what you say about Barclays entries, a dollar 60. So in that way, like nobody can complain to you about how things are going because it's not like they paid some big race fee to join the race. (laughs) Uh, the Barclays. If you look at each race for the reason it's a favorite, one of the things about the Barkley is you don't have to you don't have to coddle them at all. The people that have been selected out, they're a different kind. You can you can ask the the people at the park would tell you because they have the fall classic and you love the fall classic for what it is. But it's not the same crowd as the as the Barkley. They they're a lot more needy. The people at the Barkley, you you just put them up there in the campground and shut the gate and they need nothing else. And you send them out on the course. They don't need anything. They don't need help. They don't expect it. They don't want it. Mm. And when they come in and fail, they don't have excuses. They, even when I look at the way that 
like the weather or the conditions or different things that happen and you feel almost bad for them that they came so well prepared and did such a good job but still failed. And then all they say is, yeah, I've got to go home and get better. Mm. Have you ever been genuinely worried about anybody out there? Um, We were kind of worried about Dan Baglioni the year he was gone, the year that he did two miles in 32 hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> two miles on the course in 32 hours. Mm-hmm. He, he went many places in the mountains, but that was just because he was uh, in his late 70s and he had a heart condition. And when we saw he'd only been two miles, we were afraid something could have happened to him. Yeah. And uh, as it turned out, it hadn't. He had, he had uh, eventually ended up in a different county and in the mountains and ran across some old guys that were out drinking beer and smoking pot and driving their four wheeler up in the mountains. And they took him out and they all had breakfast and it just didn't dawn on him that it had been a couple of days. He needed to call and tell us that he was okay. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The real question is, did he take a hit of that marijuana? (laughs) You'd have to ask Dan, and you can't because he's not with us anymore. Oh, is he the oldest competitor you've ever had? Um, probably. I we've had a few older guys. Mostly, it's not really an old man's game. Mm. It's not. It's not kind to old people. I mean, that's insanely impressive that someone over the age of seventy would even attempt it. I mean, that's. That's crazy. Okay, speaking of smoking, how long have you smoked cigarettes? Uh, just right, started right before this podcast, actually. Oh, your first one. Yeah. Okay, how's that I went out and said, I better, better smoke one now because that I'll be chained to the computer device, which means I can't go outside. Oh, do you ever, um, when you did, like, okay, so, listeners. Laz walked across America in 2018. Incredibly impressive. Did that hinder your how you felt in your walk across America? And did you smoke during your walk? <laughs> I, I tell people that the honest to God truth is the only thing that got me across America was Dr. Pepper's and Camel Filters. <laughs> if things were going well, I smoked a camel every four hours. Really? And then if it was hurting, I would smoke one every two hours. Okay. And if it really, really was bad, I would smoke one every hour. And that way I would never stop walking because I had to get to my next cigarette. Okay. Then I drink a lot of Dr. Pepper too much. I, and, and I, I'm aware of that, but during the, a run like that, I drank mostly water and Gatorade. Mm. So yeah. at the end of the day, I would tell them I would, if I had a crew to take the Dr. Pepper, one of the Dr. Peppers and put it underneath all the ice. So it would be the coldest Dr. Pepper in the world. Mm. And then when I finished the day, I would pull it out. And if I had a good day, I would celebrate with an ice cold Dr. Pepper. 
And if I had a bad day, I would console myself with an ice cold Dr. Pepper. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you just, you need a reward out there. Oh, yeah. Something to look forward to. Now, did your wife, Sandra, (laughs) did she come on the Walk Across America? Like, did she crew you at all? She came out several times and picked up and uh, mostly to help in places where I didn't have crews. I think early, like in Ohio, she just came up to see me going across there Mm. because that I'd been gone so long. She had forgotten how good it was to be rid of me. So she wanted to make the rest of her life seem better by spending some time around me. What does she think of your shenanigans? <laughs> she knew what she was getting into. Yeah. How did you guys meet? Uh, in, in accounting class at, in college. Okay. How heavily involved? I mean, because... Just so everybody knows, when we set up this call, she totally set up the call. She got Skype set up. You guys are talking about mailing out shirts to 87 countries. How heavily involved is she in the races that you do? Um, she needs to be in charge of everything. <laughs> she's, been the, she's been the scorekeeper for the high school basketball teams, the girls and boys teams for the last that must be 30 years. Really? And that's because that she is in charge of the game. The score is what she says it is. Mm. <laughs> uh, people think the scoreboard matters, but it isn't. It's what she puts on her book. Okay, so now for Barkley and Biggs. Biggs is literally in your backyard. Are you all getting any sleep during these races? Are you up the whole time? <laughs> the the bigs is problematic because I have to post an update every hour. Every hour, you don't have an assistant that does that. You're the guy. No, it's it's my job. So, <laughs> who would know it was going to go on for days and days? So the first day is is okay, but somewhere in the second day, you start thinking. I've got to, I've got to get sleep and you end up, you have all your jobs as the race director. So it starts with, you blow the whistles, you ring the bell because that's the nail down. That has to happen on the hour, every hour, exactly on time. And then you go through and you check the different things that you have to check in a big circle. You get to the house, you write your update, and then you look at your watch and you say, Oh, I've got four minutes before I have to go back and blow the whistle. And, and you set the alarm. And by the, by the third day, it's easy. You, you just set the alarm and close your eyes and you get your four minutes sleep. And the alarm goes off and you have to get up and do it all again. Wow. Now, I've heard you, <laughs> I've heard you talk about, I don't know his name, but someone who, when you're ready to retire, that can kind of take over these races. But you're not planning for that to happen anytime soon, are you? Um, it depends on when you ask me that. <laughs> uh, you know, by the, the there's times in it when you think, "Oh, I'm ready to, for Carl to take over." It's Carl Laniac, okay, uh, from South Carolina. He's a 
he's the perfect person to do it, which is really a cruel thing to say. But he's got he's got enough concern that he doesn't want the people to die, but he's callous enough that it's okay if they suffer. Oh, that's good. That's an important quality for these. And races. he sees the. <laughs> It's like a perfect crew. I always said what you want for a crew is you want someone who loves you enough that they want to see you make it, but someone that doesn't have any real problem seeing you suffer. Yes. <laughs> and encouraging you to suffer more, maybe. That, that might even laugh about it. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite part of of the backyard race? I mean, so many people have recreated this race in their own backyards all over the world. Um, I'm assuming whatever your favorite part is, is has something to do with why everybody else is wanting to jump on board. It's, I don't know. It, there, there's nothing quite like it because there's so many, they, there's a social aspect that's not like any other. Any two runners can run together. There's nothing to, nothing to be lost by it. So you see different people pair up. You, you you ring the bell, and everyone goes out, and you have all the chairs and stuff sitting there, and it's just empty. It's like a party with no people. And, and we've grown used to here in recent months seeing places where people are with no people. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they start, you know, the first one comes back, and then another, and just over in just a few minutes everybody's there and they're all talking and taking care of their eating and doing their stuff. And there's this big party going on and then you blow the whistle and they all line up and you ring the bell and off they go again. It's, it's, I know it's hard to explain. It's kind of weird. And then seeing the number of people in the starting corral shrink, watching them dwindle, something happens to this person, something happens to that person. This person gives up. And, and, and then you get down to just the ones that it's, there's a lot of poker mm. in, the, in this game. You can't show weakness. You, you go to ultras and people tell each other how much they're suffering. You don't do that here. It's everybody, you feel great. I feel great. I hope this lasts for two more days. I know what you mean. I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. Oh, you guys have no idea. I feel better than any human has ever felt <laughs> during the course of an ultra marathon. And of course, they're all dying inside. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I interviewed recently, I talked to Amelia Boone on this podcast, and she was talking to me about how it's extremely challenging to even become a crew member. I think she was talking about Barclays, though. Um, because you know, you got to keep the camp kind of small. And then I heard you on another podcast talking about the media being out there. And I thought, well, maybe I could get out there as part of the media. Where do I apply for my credentials? Is that secretive too? No, you just, the media people send in their, in their requests for a media spot because that strangely enough in the world of ultra marathons we can just only take so many right and i usually go pretty much first comes first served if they've written and asked for a spot i put them down i'm getting in i'm coming next year 
if the weather's bad, everybody suffers. I just so you know. That's true. That's true. I'll bring my husband with me so I have ex you know, like help with I see it's just like the crew. You only you'll get, oh, get one only, person? Oh no, I only get to come by myself. How many you put in your party? It really kind of varies. And you have one of the bigger you know, like HBO or somebody uh, that's really got a big thing, they'll have a larger contingent and okay. we cut it off by the number of people. So I'll have another podcast probably can't bring a, an army of four people. I see what you're saying here. Your chances of getting in are best if you're one person. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep that. I'll keep that as a little reminder. Hey, I wanted to give you the, opportunity to just say something about Barry Barkley, who the race is named after, and he passed away in December. And I thought, I'd like to just hear what Laz has to say about his buddy. <laughs> it's uh, still still making the adjustment mm -hmm. like you do with people that you really are known, know well for so long. You still think of things you're going to tell them, and then you realize you can't. And, of course, I open my phone, and, and he's sitting there in my, uh, in my if, I've, if I look for someone in my contacts, that's the top one in the Bs. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I should maintenance it and take it out. Mm -hmm. And I just haven't, haven't uh, I say, nah, I'll do that later. And, but you think of all the, the funny t stories and the, and the good times, and, and it's just, he was uh, a good friend that you have only a few of in your life. And I knew him for a really long time and watched, watched his kids grow up. And matter of fact, at the, at the end, he was not doing well. And, and I knew he wasn't doing well. So I called his, called his number and didn't get an answer. And I thought, Okay, I need to. Uh, I got to figure out how to get over there to his house and make sure things are okay. Or is there someone I can contact that could get there sooner? And then the phone rang, and I looked, and it was in his number. I think, ah, and it was his daughter on the line, and not him. Mm. <laughs> and she said, "Well, I was waiting for you to call because I need got to tell you, just." I know you should. I should probably put together a tribute to him, or I could tell you a funny story. Do one or the other. I don't care. You were both. He was. He was a. It's one of my favorite things in my mind to picture. But he he was a farmer. He worked on a farm, and they were harvesting wheat. And the, you have the combine that goes through and combines the wheat, and then you drive a truck with a trailer beside it and all the wheat shoots into that trailer and when the trailer's full you pull it off and so he was driving the truck with the trailer they didn't finish the field so they left all the equipment parked there next to the uh next to the field to come back the next day and pick up so the next day he got in his truck and he started it up and there was a snake had gotten in there and hid under the seat and it came out and crawled up his pants leg <laughs> And he said he he bailed out of that truck and and was out of his pants in world record time <laughs> <laughs> with no concern at all for who was there. And I don't know why, but the pics just 
you can picture it in your mind, can't you, that you've got on your, your Levi's and a snake crawls up the leg? <laughs> I would be terrified. Terrified. Would, you would shuck your pants anywhere you were <laughs> in record time. I love that story. What? Why did he... Why did you name the race after Barry Barkley? Uh, he... He's helped with all the races we've had from the very first strolling gym. Mm. And he's been an integral part. This is where you really miss the people over the years when they're gone, that you have all the things that you do every year. I mean, this is the 42nd strolling gym. And if it had not been for all the changes that had to be made anyway for the, uh, for the, you know, there's some kind of bug going around. You probably have heard about it. <laughs> Maybe, but, just a little bit. There's been something going around. And this would be the first year that he's always there at 4 a.m. And I'm there at 4 a.m. And we have our routine of things we do before the race. And you miss those things. Each of the people, you'll see when you get older, you'll miss people the most when you have the, the times that you that you did stuff. When Stu Gleeman passed, it was there was something he did at every race, and he was the kind of guy that he just kind of quietly did them, and you didn't even have them on your your to your checklist. Mm -hmm. And we got to the Barkley that year, and you're out there the morning of the race, and you say, "God bless, I am starving," and there's nowhere out there to get breakfast. And you realize every year for as long as you can remember, Stu just shows up that morning with a sack full of Hardy's biscuits. Mm. And it hadn't even gone on the, on your list of things to do that. Hey, I have to eat that day. Hardy's biscuits. That's so perfect for one of your races. That's so, <laughs> so perfect. 42 years ago, you were a young man. How are you different now? What's the, what, what defines you differently now than, you know, that young man you were when you started these races? I, I hopefully I'm somewhat the same person, but I'm a lot slower than I used to be. <laughs> I've given up on, I long, long since retired from thinking I could be competitive, but you still have to have a goal out there, something that you're working towards. And you, know, you would like to say that I had acquired maturity and, and wisdom over that time, but I don't think it, I realized at some point I'm not ever going to grow up. Mm. It's just, and I think it's okay. Grownups don't have as much fun. What do you want your legacy to be? There's not really a, a a legacy that you leave in in a very short time after you're gone people will forget you're there i think that the people that have done these events and, and felt personal changes in them i hope that that those are last lasting changes in their life it'd be kind of fun to see some of the races go on but you yourself you're when you're when you're gone you will fade from memory in a pretty short time yeah, it's sad to think about. But you know what? You are a legend in the sport of ultra running. So I think you're kind of crazy to think that your memory will fade. 
<laughs> uh, well, I'll never know the difference one way or the other. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, Laz. Well, we always wrap up the podcast uh, with a few end of podcast questions. Oh, I do want to ask you real quick, though. How's the virtual race across Tennessee going? Oh, that was the one that we would. That was what I was doing when you got here. And I'll be doing when you're gone. (laughs) uh, We were expecting 200. And it's it's getting close to 20,000. Wow. So it's it's like 20 hours a day of constant stuff and what I was talking about here and if I could give any message to your listeners it would be this don't be in the one and a half percent one and a half percent of the people are incapable of taking care of themselves and 80 percent of our time is spent trying oh. to get them through this thing. Oh my gosh. That's and of so course, good. they're also the ones that feel that they're not being treated right. But it's, hey, never be one of the one and a half percent. I don't know what they do in the achievement test, you know, the tests that you take in school. Uh-huh. And when, when I was that age, they always told you you were in such and such a percentile. <laughs> And, of course, if you're in the 99th percentile, that's like the greatest thing in the world. Uh-huh. But if you're in the if you're in the one percentile, you need to look inwardly for where your problems are coming from. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's always that one person that has extra questions and will find something to complain about if there's actually nothing to complain about. <laughs> Well, oh, just true. doing things to take care of themselves. Oh, that, that's why you run. That's why you run races, like you direct races, like the Barkley Marathon. These people are self-sufficient. <laughs> yes, that's what makes the Barkley Marathons the best. Is that they need very little. Okay, so it's going well though, and you guys are raising money for uh, Feeding America, so that's awesome. Uh, we've it's really expanded to um, we've got money for feeding America. We've got people wanted to enter their dogs. Okay, which I was opposed to. I'm not the nice guy. The the uh, the uh, I I have to work with people on races so that someone can be the nice guy, except the Barkley. <laughs> it requires no nice. Uh, so we let them enter their dogs and made a dog race. We've got at least $10,000 for animal shelters. Nice. Um, we've got the people wanted to buy souvenirs. People were making souvenirs. You know, if you have a race and it's popular, people make bootleg souvenirs. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't want to have a race store and nickel and dime people. And then, then we thought, well, what if we take all of the proceeds from that? One, we, we farm it out to where that these small businesses that, that normally do stuff for races and have no business right now with the way things are, races and events, and farm the store out to them. And then you have to have your like license fee where you get some back. And we just donate 100% of that to um, – it's a uh, freedom seat, which is the child – uh, child slavery. Uh, I don't think that they're aiding child slavery. I'm under the impression that they're against it, but it's 
<laughs> I hope so. I, hopefully, yeah, that they're not using this money to put children into slavery. But. <laughs> so you have three organizations. You have the animal one, the anti-child slavery one, and the um, Feeding America? And I, at least that. I don't know if I'm not thinking of something off the top of my head. When, uh, when you do these events, one of the things I think is important is that that they serve a purpose and, and usually within the community where they are, uh, the, the fall classic in Morgan County is just a huge event for that County. And we raise so much money for the schools and the, we involve them all in the, in the event. And they're, instead of volunteers, we have all of them do it. And then the proceeds from the event, the biggest piece of it goes to, to all of them on top of having, all the hundreds of people and people from all over the world coming as as tourists. That's so great. I love the thought behind, I know it's so simple, but just in everything you do, having a purpose outside of just the event. Yeah. I'd like to tie the communities and the events together. So, because that it seemed to me like you have, races that I've been around where the runners in the community are somewhat at odds that the, that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the community thinks the runners are eh, up in the, up in the woods and the runners think that the local people are just a bunch of yokels. But really, if you can get the two working together, they, they find out that they're both good people and, and there's a support, I know the runners at the Barkley Fall Classic talk about that they go to the grocery store to uh, buy supplies. And the local people know they're not from there because in a town like Wartburg, when you see someone new, you know that, that you haven't seen them before. Uh-huh. And say, Are you in the race? And, yeah, I'm in the race. Uh-huh. Oh, well, good luck to you. <laughs> and you know, they get that kind of greeting everywhere they go because the local community thinks highly of the of the, the runners and the race because it does a lot for them. And the runners think highly of the community because they do a lot for the race. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, our local marathon here in Indy, the Monumental Marathon, there's always people in the community that are going to complain. Oh, the road was closed for six hours and it really ruined my Saturday. Um, but man, my message to those people is always like, think about how great this is for our community and for our local yes. economy. It's, it's like, it's a really great thing. Oh yeah. You, you, you just, you really want to get the people involved is I think the key is that you get the local people involved in putting it on. Yeah. And, and that gives them a real connection with it. But yeah, there'll always be someone who doesn't like it. And with the with the Barkley though, it's it's mostly a, a humor thing. They all know now when they they, they all uh, there was a story with a runner who had given up, gotten gotten had finally hiked his way back out to a road way outside the park, and he's got thirty miles of hitchhiking to get back to the park. And he's walking down the road at three in the morning and this van pulls up beside him and they roll down the window and they say, you in that race? He says, 
Yeah. You need a ride to the park? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They know when it comes that weekend that when they see these strange people at three in the morning out on the road that, yeah, they just need to be taken to the park. (laughs) They need a ride back. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, there are countless Barkley stories and... I wish I could hear them all. I wish we had time for them all. But I know that you have to get back to this 1%. I have to get back. And I've got to do my miles. I Oh, what are your miles I've, today? Today is an 11, which takes forever because my legs are just not what they used to be. Your your warranty is going to run out in 100,000 miles. And, and after the warranty is out, <laughs> everything breaks down. Why, what's your commitment to 11 miles today? Are you following some sort of plan for something? I've got my schedule. I had already my training plan schedule for the next uh, Transcon. I've upped it a little bit so that I can get 1,000 miles during the virtual race. Oh. I justify getting my miles in every day when I don't have time by saying that I have to be in the race so people can beat me. Yes. They they target me. Mm. Are they are you clocking the, your time? Yeah, well, everybody's everybody's position is publicly known, so they know exactly where I am. They and I'm a sitting target. <laughs> and it's the honor system, right? It's the honor system. Totally classic. I love that. I hope there's no <laughs> cheaters out there. Um, you're going to have them, you're going to have them anywhere. You can't, you can't stop it. And I know that there's a lot said about that. Oh, you make them all do their Strava or whatever. But after our experience with Robert Young and his fake transcon with all that it took, even though it was obviously, obviously fake, that it still took three, they hired three scientists that spent a month analyzing the data to actually prove that it was fake. Really? And, I don't know this story. I, you don't know? Robert Robert Young was walking, supposedly running across the U.S. to set a record, and he was supposed to be doing 60, 70, 80-mile days, and then they would show him playing at a casino and lounging at the pool. And for all of us that have done journey runs and transcons and stuff, it was really kind of an insult because, mm-hmm. you know, he's playing soccer with kids and doing soccer tricks in the street because, no, no. When you're doing that kind of mileage, you're not, there's, there is nothing in your life except run, refuel, and rest and repair. Totally. So we went out and met him. And just dogged him 24 hours a day. There was the geezer team. It was the geezer team. A bunch of us old guys that have done this stuff forever. And, and we, by God, we, we picked him up just after St. Louis and we hung with him all the way across Illinois and Indiana until he, until he dropped out. And it, he dropped to about half the mileage he'd been doing and it destroyed him. Mm. And, I, and I said, when I went up there, my goal, I want, he can get whatever he gets. If he can, if he can stick it out from there to the end and, and get a record or whatever, but I just want to see him look like 
a transcon runner. And we got, at the end, we fell back because we thought we might have killed him. <laughs> <laughs> so did he ever come out and say, yeah, I lied? No, he, the, you, you see a lot of, in the in the the stunt running or the journey running, you see a lot of a lot of people that don't do what they said, and they're not ever going to admit it. They they threaten their detractors with legal action, and they stick to their claims to the end. Wow, what a <laughs> thing to decide you want to lie about! Wow. Now, a lot of people who do the cross country traveling and uh, you know, like the journey, like you were saying do it to raise money or awareness, but you straight up just did it because you wanted to do it. Yeah. A lot of people do it for causes in which that they are really emotionally invested and feel a, a great connection to. And then I think a certain number of them do it for the same reason I did it, but they look for a charity to tie it to, to, to make it uh, fundable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so, but you can't make judgments on individual people. But I wasn't going to do it for any great cause other than that. You look at the map, and there's an ocean here and an ocean there, mm. and clearly you need to cover the ground between. That's so cool. I I've never heard. I know it's simple, but I've never heard an explanation like that that was just so simply put like why wouldn't you want to do it (laughs) that was the crazy thing the question number one question they say why why did you want to do that or how long have you wanted to do that it's like well since i realized it was there that's a possibility i can't i can't i can't drop a picture in my mind of how would you not want to do that? How would you not see that? And it just calls to you. It would be so much fun. I love it. That's so, so cool. And uh, you did it at the ripe old, ripe young age. Should I say that? How old were you? 65? I was 43. That's what I told everyone the whole trip. <laughs> and you did this in 2018. I would be older, but I've been held back a lot. Well, and so that would mean that he founded, uh, he did it at 43. So he founded, that would mean that you founded the Strollin' Gym at the age of one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's about right. (laughs) All right. Let's let's do end of podcast questions. Did did you see him? Did Sandra send him to you? Or are you just going to fly by the seat of your pants? If she sent him to me, I didn't see him. But my email, I've probably gotten around five or 600 emails while we were talking. Okay. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you are you are way more popular of a human being than I am. Um. <laughs> it's, often the, it's often the one and a half percent telling me that they have problems I need to fix. Oh, totally. Totally. Okay. <laughs> What's one thing personally or professionally that you have not done that you'd still like to do? Uh, well, I've got the next Transcon coming up. Oh, really? Yes. When's that? Um, um, next summer. Okay. It is a stroke of pure luck. 
and the fact that I needed a whole year to recover from the last one. The last one I did as hard as I could do because I wanted to see if I could do it. Okay. And it really it took a year to recover. So I don't want to do that again. I want to do another transcon. And this time I want to back off the schedule and like enjoy it more. Yeah. So, but are, so, cause did you go from like Washington to Maine? What was your route last time? Last time I went from Newport, Rhode Island to Newport, Oregon. Okay. So will you go, I'm assuming you'll do a different route. Angle Inlet, Minnesota to Key West, Florida. I'm going from the northernmost point to the southernmost point. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, I want to know when you come through Indiana, if you're going through Minnesota, will you go through Indiana? I will go through Indiana. I'll come out of Chicago and angle over to US 41. Okay. Kind of on the on the on the western quarter of the state. Goes from basically Chicago to uh, Evansville. I'm gonna come out. I got to. I'm. I'm. An, I live in Indiana, so I'm your neighbor here. I know you guys are Tennessee, so. Or no, I'm not your neighbor. We've got Kentucky between us. What am I thinking? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna. I want to. Will you post about it? Will we know when you're doing it? Can we show up on the side of the road and jog with you, or you know, ride our bike next to you, or walk next to you? Yeah, it's a road with a lot of wide shoulder, and then I'll be off on the side. Last time, a surprising number of people came out and walked with me, but now a lot of Indiana's the desolate, empty part. And the desolate, empty part was where the fewest people were. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll drive out there. What's um, When are you doing it? I'm going to start in May. Next year. Next, next May. Okay. And I think like the 5th. I'm timing it out so that when the Vol State goes through, I'll cross the Vol State course on the way, and I was going to hit them at around the 200-mile mark, like four days in, which at the speed I'm going, I would go along the course for the next two days, and I would get to see the biggest part of the people that are running the Vol State would pass me because, of course, they're in a sprint, yeah, and, yeah. I'm, doing, and I'm doing something long. <laughs> You're a planner. Okay. All right. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Uh, all of my kids mm. are, in, are independent grown-ups who can take care of themselves. Do you have grandkids? I have two grandkids. And every once in a while, everyone just briefly, I, I think it's a sign of probably some kind of mental illness, but it will fleet through my mind that possibly they are not the smartest, cutest grandkids that exist on earth. How old are they? But it's just a fleeting thought. <laughs> they're, they're seven and, uh, seven and almost two. Do they ever come stay with you guys? Like, do they ever do a weekend at grandma and grandpa's? I, that's mostly an every weekend thing. Really? Is, is, to go to Nana's, there are no rules at Nana's house. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I don't know which kid of yours has the grandkids, but I guarantee those parents are really thankful for those weekends. <laughs> you don't think they worry about the influences their children are under? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Just don't teach, them, don't teach them about smoking cigarettes yet. Oh, well, no. You, the, well, a seven is almost old enough. I think 
really the age to start smoking around 10 is ideal. Okay. Because before that, you're, you would be careless and you might catch things on fire. Okay, yeah, that's that's definitely the, the destruction that we're worried before, about. Before 10, only with adult supervision. Okay, who's someone... I'm so interested to know what your answer will be on this one. And I thought, he'll think this is a silly question, but I, but I ask everybody. So who's someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? And what would your drink of choice be? Uh, well, the Dr. Pepper is probably obvious. Okay. Um, I don't know because the Johnny Wooden, but he's no longer he's no longer with us. Okay, that's okay. I would be interested to talk to him because he was obviously the greatest basketball coach of all time. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. He's from Martinsville, right? He is. Is he? Yeah, I, I think he does. Is from Indiana. Yeah, he's from a tiny town in in Indiana, Martinsville. It's in between the town I grew up in, Bloomington, and Indianapolis, where I live now. You probably haven't heard about it, but there is some degree of popularity of basketball in Indiana. <laughs> I know. I love that about you, too. I love that you're such a big basketball fan. I, I'm super proud of being from Indiana and being the basketball state. Okay, last question, Laz. What is your one message to send to the world? Oh, fewer subdivisions in Middle Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, now that's the same one that, that all the ultra, ultra stuff has, you know, try, do, do things, try to do things that you don't think you can do and always have a goal. I don't know with, I, I wish I looked at my email and found those questions and thought of good answers. You know, I what? think, I think that's such a perfect answer. <laughs> I know that I was at the, um, the, they interviewed me at something in, in England when I was there, right before all the, this illness that you've haven't heard about started. And I watched it. They, they asked me, they said that at the, at the very end, somebody said, they said, you know, does a person have a limit? And I didn't have a good answer. As soon as soon as, of course, that that they go on, you think, no, they're the perfect answer is, yes, we all have limits, but you won't know what they are until you try to do more. That's so good. I'm sorry. My husband was giving me a note that says the plumber is here. Leave dog in our room. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let the dog out. The plumber likes dogs. I hope the plumber's not scared of dogs. I mean, they probably encounter them every day. Yeah, that might, that's our plum rig. It might not be the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this has been a joy. And, you know, I've recorded 252 episodes, and this is one of the most exciting ones. I've just, I didn't think you'd come on the show for some reason or we could get a hold of you. So, <laughs> I mean, this is a really a dream come true interview for me. So, um, thank you so very much. Well, see, I never even thought you would ask, so I had to jump at the opportunity. <laughs> because you are a big fan of the show, I'm sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> I am. 
Oh, man. Well, thank you. And Sandra, thank you so much. And um, I'm going to put in for the media credentials for next year. I got to get out there. All right. You have you you know the you know some of the tricks. Having a small party is one of, is one of the keys because we only fit so many. Okay. And do you just send an application like like one would send an application for the actual race? Yeah, they just they just email me and okay. say we'd like to do it and this is who we are and this is this is what the what I collect the, the information is what their name and email is so I know who to contact what they're representing which is and what kind of media it is whether it's they write for magazines and or newspapers or it's a tv thing or they're doing a documentary and the number of people in the party and if you don't give me any of those things i'll just write you back and ask and if you're netflix the answer is yes you may come (laughs) (laughs) oh there was not as much demand for spots before that. <laughs> I bet. It, it, it definitely has made media a different issue. Oh, I bet. Oh, man. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Sandra. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a great like day. Had fun. It was fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right. We'll talk later. Maybe I'll get to meet you. I would love that so much. That'd be cool. All right. See you guys. Bye. All right, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. And thank you, Laz. Thank you, Sandra, for setting this up, for coming on the show. I appreciate you all so much and hope to meet you in person someday. You all can learn more about Laz if you go to the Netflix documentary about the Barkley Marathon. That is a good starting place, but also just do a little Google search. Uh, you can find me on social media. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 on Twitter. I'm Lindsay Hine and on Facebook, I'm all have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. I guess I'm doing TikTok as well. Lindsay Hine 626. Uh, make sure you check out our sponsor of this episode. I am super excited to bring on Prevenex as a sponsor for this podcast and know that sponsors are one big way this podcast stays afloat. And when you support my sponsors, you're supporting my work. You can go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER to save 15% off your order. And you heard me talk about that Joint Health Plus product they have. It's so good. It's so good for your body. It works. It makes you feel better. Again, Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your order. Don't forget to check out the other podcasts in the Sandy Boy Network. Go to sandyboyproductions.com for more information. We also host the Illuminate podcast and the Up and Running podcast with Lauren Flores and Abby Stanley over there. All right. More content from me over on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash You can support the show for as little as 3 or $5 a month and get bonus episodes over there. All right, friends. Have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.